Welcome to episode number 10 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode, I have Jess Osro on the show, and she is an incredible woman who her most recent venture is The Rise Journey, but there's a lot about her you need to know. Basically, she's a talent development specialist and has expertise in areas of diversity and inclusion, transitions in and out of tech, strengthening your personal brand, identifying transferable skills, building a professional network, and so, so much more. Had a great conversation with Jess, and we talked about a lot of different topics, including her basically being forced to move to New York City by her mom, who essentially kicked her out, and she slept on a friend's couch for a few months. Incredible, just to get to New York City in the first place, how she made it work. She's been there about seven or eight years now. Why she fosters kittens is one thing. You'll, you'll find out why. Let's just put it that way. Uh, making money and helping people, those are not mutually exclusive. We discuss those as well. How to unwind as a type A person, how she started the Rise journey, also with Jasro Consulting, where she did some career coaching, what makes for a great career, and so much more. This was a great conversation. I really do hope you enjoy it. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, over on iTunes, leave a rating review. Just search Just Go Grind on iTunes, and you can leave a rating and review there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, here's Jess Osro. Jess, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. You're living in New York City right now, that's correct? Yep, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. How, how long have you been living there? I have been in New York City almost eight years, eight years this December, and I have been just south of Prospect Park for going on three years. Nice. And what's, what's your favorite part about the city? I'm just curious. Uh, I think the fact that you can live any life you want to, so you can be, you know, in dis- it feels like you're in disguise, but you can really do anything. You can go see live music. You can be in the arts. You can just, you know, hang out by yourself. I have my cat and we hang out and watch Netflix a lot. So, you know, you can live whatever kind of life you want um, without judgment and you can really do anything within a subway ride, which is pretty great. That is nice. I've been there a couple times now and it's always I'm just awestruck by the city. There's just so much to do and so much energy. It's exciting every time I've been there. I'm just like one of those places you, you have to go to for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of FOMO. Definitely. You know, <laughs> living there, you have to realize that you can only do so much and that like staying at home and doing nothing is a totally viable thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How, how do you make that decision? It's like there's always things going on. So I don't know how you'd even decide that. But they're, the same thing is in, like a, in business school here at USC. It's, there's always something going on and you just have to be okay with relaxing sometimes, which is tough. Yeah. My calendar on the regular will have two or three events in one afternoon. And I'm just like, okay, like I've RSVP'd to all of them. Now it's time to choose which one to actually, which one will actually progress what I'm doing today or this week or this month. Yes. That, yeah. That's helpful. Um, <laughs> You know, Christina Calabrese connected us. I have to give her a shout out for that um, because she posted it in the Dreamers and Doers group. I'm curious how you got started or how you joined that group or how long ago that was for you? Yeah, that's going on three years as well. It's been a while. So the founder, Geisha, um, I'd gotten connected to her, I think through a coffee meeting. I was just doing a lot of women in tech networking and trying to figure out the women in tech scene specifically was looking for a community and 
this woman told me about it and I immediately joined up and it was just even from then and it was much smaller um, but still equally as curated and uh, Geisha's done an amazing job of really building out a community and she's still super involved if somebody posts on something she will tag like 40 members who are who you know it's relevant to um, it's truly amazing how she seems to know everybody in the group so it's pretty spectacular it sounds like it. And even from talking to a few other people in that group who I will eventually have on the podcast, it seems like yeah, everyone has a very high praise for the group and just wanting that space to support each other and meet up and try to just grow their career and just meet cool people. Seems like a great thing to do. Yeah, there's a recognition that everybody is there um, with a reason. It's not spammy. It's not... I mean, it's very overwhelming. There are like five or six different Facebook groups within the kind of master group um, that are separated into different things. But there's a lot of asks. There's a lot of offers. Um, the entire group does a really great job of giving back um, and recognizing that they have talents that other people need um, and offering free coaching or free help or um, you know tips and tricks. There's a tons, ton of events that get posted in there. Um, and I think everybody assumes that anything posted in there just automatically has a leg up from what you might find on any other list um, just because of how the group is curated. Yeah, and it seems seems very responsive. Um, Incredibly. From what heard. Yeah. Yeah, you have to check in daily. You, you miss things if you don't check in. Um, <laughs> you have to be super, super aware. Like you go a week and you go uh, device-free, you don't even want to try to catch back up. Like you just start fresh from where you're at. Otherwise, you get very overwhelmed. What for you personally has been the most beneficial thing about being in that group? The vulnerability. I think because it's women only, um, the recognition that it is a safe space. And, you know, just the other day, one of the members posted about just not really sure where they were going in their career. And after having a lot of focus, all of a sudden, just kind of in the last six months, just being like, well, what the hell am I doing? Um, and she posted about it and noted that it was a super vulnerable post and not something she would, you know, likely post. And I want to say there were like 60 comments on it within 24 hours um, of people who are supportive of people who said, you know, let's get coffee. Let's, you know, let's chat. I'm in this area, which you mentioned, like, let's talk about what that would look like. Um, so people are really reaching out. People want to really bolster each other within that the community. There's a recognition of that. Um, and even if it's, it's a global group. So even though, you know, somebody might be across the country or across the world, uh, a recognition that we're all going through very similar things, even if we're in very different areas. Um, right. At the same time, there's people like Ellen Powell in the group, which is pretty baller. Um, so, you know, there's there's also knowing the fact that, you know, I'm not in that echelon by any means, um, that somebody of that caliber is in there and listening somehow, somewhere, her assistant <laughs> is listening somewhere somehow is, yeah. is pretty wonderful. Yeah, it sounds like a great place to be in. And you've, you mentioned with the career thing, people asking about the career path or not sure what they wanted to do. And I know you've done career coaching for a while. How did you first start with that? We're gonna. There's a lot to not to cover in this episode. <laughs> there's a lot to cover, but I'm curious on how you got started with the coaching aspect. Yeah. specifically. it was completely accidental. Um, I was working as an executive assistant for a growing sports startup um, as my first kind of real full time job in New York, and a bunch of my friends. They were like, help me with my resume. Help me with this. Like, you're hiring interns. Like, what are people looking for? Um, and after I left that job, more so people came to me and said, I need help with all these things. I'm looking at leaving. You know, how do I transition into like a job like you did, you know, with a different kind of tech startup? And um, just started advising them and going through. And for me, it was a lot of really simple, basic things that I didn't recognize 
that other people didn't know and that wasn't that didn't come simply to them and that I mean that still is an issue I'm constantly kind of reconnecting with is something that seems really simple to me is not and not and mostly because it's not taught um, and I've just you know what just one of my stronger skills in that area um, at the same time I was informally coached my neighbor up here in New Hampshire where my family is from and where I grew up um, was a business coach to you know all the major C- CEOs and CFOs and C-level whatever's um, globally for him and his brother started it you know, 25 plus years ago. And so he was coaching the best of the best. And while I was going through college and my early New York career, he was coaching me every time we got together. And it took me a while to figure it out. Um, Dominic was pretty sly about it. Um, but once I recognized it and you know we formalized the process, every time I come home, we have a coaching session. And it's a little bit different every time. And he pushes me and teaches me new ways to coach by, you know, just listening to him and how he's doing it. Um, and so that has been a really huge uh, help, you know, and kind of just building the baseline of yeah. how I coach and what I do when I coach people. Yeah. It's one of those things too, like as a coach, if you're preaching coaching and don't have a coach, it looks a little strange. <laughs> well, and what I tell everybody is everybody deserves a coach. You know, there's a reason athletes, pro athletes have coaches. Like they could be really good, but you still have a coach at the highest level. Um, and everybody deserves a coach and everybody should have one for different areas of their life. Like people are like, oh, you're a life coach. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Like I'm a career. I'm very focused on career. I'm very focused on next steps. A life coach, totally different kind of thing. So recognizing that, you know, different aspects of life can have different pieces and you can get super, super niche or you can get super, super broad, um, depending on what you really need or want. And at different times in your life, you need coaches for different things. Um, I always say that if I work with somebody for too long on the same topic, I'm obviously not doing my job right because you haven't learned what you need to learn to move on to that next level. Yeah. I had the same experience actually when I was coaching uh, for fitness. It's one of those things where I told them, eventually we will not be coaching together any longer because you will know what you need to do and you will be doing it already. So, you know, just exactly. not, not a waste, but like, yeah, you really don't have to have me anymore. And a lot of times, you know, people would stay on just for the support and talking with you, but they didn't really need to at a certain point, yeah. you know? It's a very different experience, uh, you know, and I wish there was another term other than coach for that, but it's like almost like a sidekick more than a coach at that point. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And you mentioned the tech thing early on in your career, did you know you wanted to get into tech even like in college or before college? Or is that I didn't that even know tech existed um, until I moved to New York. <laughs> um, I My background is theater, art, and Spanish. I was a super overachiever in college and was a triple major. One of those was self-designed. Um, and I went to Spain to teach English after I graduated and came back and <laughs> broke up with my, my long-distance <laughs> boyfriend and then was like, well, crap, what do I do now? And moved back home and was going to take a job at my old high school um, in a very low-level job. I just didn't know what to do. And my mom took me out to Olive Garden, which was our, our restaurant of choice up here in rural New Hampshire. And we sat down and she said, let's get a drink. And I said, oh, that's weird. My mom and I don't drink together. Like, a little bit <laughs> odd. And we ordered drinks and she slides a box onto the table, a present onto the table. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm in for it. Something, Something's happening now that I, don't, I am Uh-oh. not aware of. Uh-oh. And... And I opened it, and it was a little ceramic plaque that said, uh, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And Mm. she looked at me, and she said, I love you. You are way too talented to be taking that job at your high school. Your friend Meg says you can sleep on her couch in New York, and I need you out of the house in two weeks. And I was out of the house in two weeks. Um, It was both the most terrifying and the best thing she could have done for me. Um, I still have that plaque hanging in my room. And... uh, 
yeah, I slept on my friend's couch uh, for three months until I had enough money to save for my own apartment. And I worked, I don't know, I think I had eight part-time jobs and I got four of them within my first week of New- in New York. Like once you're there, you're there. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and I was working a whole bunch. I was nannying. I was working as an executive assistant to a dance nonprofit. Um, I was an organizational consultant, like literally like organizing people's basements. Um, I was just doing whatever I could get my hands on, um, house sitting, pet sitting. And then I, I after nine, 10 months of that, r- roughly, I decided, okay, it's time for me to get like a real job. Like health benefits would be cool, like a real paycheck. And I was, because yeah. I was working as an EA, I looked at other executive assistant jo- jobs and it was kind of just applying. I was like, you know, redoing my resume every other day. I was updating LinkedIn all the, as many times as I could and just, you know, applying endlessly. Um, I don't even remember how I found this sports company, and but I did. And I had a phone interview that went really well. And then I went in and I met who was my future boss, Alex. And we had a great rapport and we both had a mutual hatred for the Red Sox, which was great. And I think <laughs> I was, I started my job the, like a week later. Um, and that was that. And then I was in tech and then I was in a startup and, you know, had no idea what was going on. And um, now I know that neither did anybody else. But at the time, I thought everybody else <laughs> did. And that's, you know, that was seven years ago. So even going back to, okay, one, taking the jump to move to New York City, <laughs> you're basically forced to, but you also were ready because you're like, okay, I guess I have to do this. Like, what was your approach to then once you're there? getting a job, finding work, you're just looking nonstop. How did you know what, what you wanted to look for at that time? Yeah. So I started with looking in the arts. So newyorkforthearts.org was one of, I think it's New York for the Arts, NYFA.org, I believe it is. Because um, I uh-huh. had studied theater, I'd studied art. So I kind of just assumed that I was going to go in that arena. Um, so I started looking at nonprofits. I started looking at ga- you know gallery assistants, Um it was through that website where I got this um, executive assistant job to work for the founder of a dance nonprofit. Um, did some really interesting work, did some really good work, but recognized that um, I needed a more challenging role. And where is that role? And which really was about the company, um, that working with a you know five-person company was not enough. Um, yeah. But pretty much you just hustle. I you know reached out at, at the two previous summers. I'd worked as a camp counselor. And so a lot of their parents lived in New York. And so I reached out to them and was like, hey, I'm in New York. If any of your parents have any like random jobs, like you guys love me, hire me. And that's how I got my first house sitting job. And um, I went on a website called greatallpair.com, which was for nannies and personal assistants. And that's how I ended up working for one of the Real Housewives of New York, um, which was a real trip. Um, (laughs) And I, yeah, I just, I was hustling and my, through my nanny job, I met a lot of parents and said they all needed extra babysitters. Um, A couple of introductions led to a couple of the organizational help where I was, you know, going three hours in the morning and organizing their basements kind of thing. So it was a lot of just making the ask, which is something I'm constantly talking about. And, you know, my coach Dominic always pushes me about is making the ask of, you know, I'm here, I'm ready for a job. What do you have? You know, I need a job, give me one. And, you know, sometimes that point blank. Um, And if you can't give me one, will you introduce me to somebody who can? Right. Um, The follow-up. And until, oh yeah, follow-up is important. And at that point I was still pretty like dopey and naive, like my first six months in New York. So people... I don't want to say felt bad, but they recognized <laughs> the newbie in me. Um, and so we're very generous with their both their time and their introductions. That's very helpful. And have you always been that way? Just in terms of the resourcefulness, the the hustle, has that always been something? Or is Oh, it yeah. Okay, you have. 
I my grandmother is I'm a mini me of her, and she has always been that way. And she started the largest upward bound program um, in the Northeast region, and all of these. My mom, you know, got her PhD, you know, put herself through school and um, PhD program, got her master's by candlelight. Um, so it's always been in my system, um, and you know, both in a positive way and a negative way, because it can be overwhelming and causes me not to be able to sit still as much as I might like. Um, <laughs> But also, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, you know, I can't, I can't go to sleep in, if I have started unpacking, but I haven't finished unpacking kind of mentality. Like, yeah. you just have to finish it and you just have to get it done. And until it's done, you're not going to rest. Um, yeah. That, so that's where, that's where I'm at with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a problem with a lot of type A, either entrepreneurs or people who are just incredibly driven. It's like, when do you stop working? <laughs> or you know, yes. how do you decide to? And that's something I've, I've definitely dealt with as well, where it's like, yeah, you could just keep working it's never over especially in, in entrepreneurship like there's always more to do and how do you decide when you should stop and take a break and how yeah. because you can stop but then you're like still checking your email or you're still doing this you're still doing that it's like okay you know if i'm gonna stop and if i'm really gonna take a break like i'm gonna turn off my devices <laughs> i'm gonna you know whatever um but you know i didn't have have that actually i moved to new york without an iphone um i had a non-smartphone when i moved to the city and I think that really, like getting a smartphone was a huge step in like the the hustle direction because I was able to do all these things from my phone all of a sudden. Yeah. I got Game changer. My first, I, my first phone was an iPhone 6 and it was just like, I can check the maps. Like I used to call my mom and say, I'm at these cross streets and I need to go to these cross streets. How do I do this? And she would pull up Google Maps on her computer at home and tell me which direction to go. <laughs> Prime example um, of Apple changing lives with the, with the iPhone. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, part of the hustle is, you know, you know, having the ability to and being in a space to, because I was applying for hundreds of jobs when I was in New York and not getting a bite. Um, but the second you're in the space, when you're in that headspace, you know, not to get all woo-woo, but when you're putting that right energy out there, um, you're opening yourself up to things. So even if it's, you know, whether you believe in good energy or whatever it is, like when you're putting yourself in the space for that, yeah. uh, you know, it, it changes your own game. Yeah, that's incredibly it's powerful and it's also it's so, so true because if you put yourself in that environment, in that arena, you give yourself a chance to actually make it. Like if you're not in the yeah. arena, if you're trying from the outside to get in, it's a whole different ballgame. But once you're in there, then like you said, like not too woo-woo, but yeah, you kind of have that in your mind where you're trying to get to and people do help and it kind of comes together. It may take time, but eventually it comes well, together. And I'm going to screw up the sports metaphor. The sports quote, wasn't it? Yeah, there, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I want to say that was yes. a hockey quote. Um, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. There we go. <laughs> yep, I've heard that one. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what it is. Like, I mean, you don't even have, you know, if you don't even allow yourself on the rink, you're never going to even get the shot. Um, right. Exactly and then if you don't know how to skate, you know, you're still going to figure that out, <laughs> which is usually, you know, you got to go back even further, especially in tech and entrepreneurship. Yeah, and you've been in that scene for like seven or eight years. What has that journey been like from the beginning and how has that evolved as you move through tech, move through different companies, I assumed? What was like, – yep. how, how did that go or how did you – what was the first one, I guess? You said there was a sports company, right? Yeah, one. I worked at a, a sports startup, which is now, no, as far as I'm aware, no longer in, in existence, which is something that was something I would oh, – never thought I would work at a company that no longer exists. Um, yeah, it's weird. Then it moved to a international um, messaging platform company called Echo, and they're kind of like the Asian Slack. Um, okay. And they were based between here and Thailand. I, then I moved to a company called Hired, which uh, helps software engineers, data scientists, whatnot, um, get jobs they love. It was a really in interesting area. And then I was also I also started my own consulting business, um, Jawsro Consulting, which is coach mostly coaching, um, 
but it's more now into kind of talent development, um, talking a lot about imposter syndrome, talking a lot about invisible disabilities in the workplace. Um, so that on its own is transi- transitioned. And then I recently launched a company, The Rise Journey, um, with my business partner, who's also named Jess, because we keep things really simple around here. Um, and that's the newest venture. Um, and I think the the biggest connector of all is nothing looks like or looked like what I thought it would. Um Every single step of the way, I was like, okay, I'm, move, I'm moving into an HR journalist role. This is what it's going to look like. And then it was like, nope. Different. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and so like oh being okay with the ambiguity is it's kind of a bitch. It's a really yeah. – it's its own trials every single time because you think you have a handle on something and then it's like, well, nope. Not. Uh, but with that, I've you know, that's when the best lessons come. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it always takes some 20-20 hindsight to really – gain those officially. Um, but, you know, all of the opportunities have been interesting. They've all afforded me lessons that I wasn't going to learn. Or I, I can't imagine how else I would have learned. I'm sure I would have learned them one way or another. Um, but nothing looks like it you think it will. Right. And that's something that's important because we have this expectation of what a role or job, whatever is going to be. But it always seems to be a bit different. And I, one of the things is I would love there to be more transparency in different companies and different industries to let people know what it's like day to day in a different role. Yep. Uh, something yep. that seems to be lacking. And it, it can help people make decisions. I remember, I think it was my buddy Spud in episode two of the podcast. And he mentioned like he got in a role and it was completely different from what he expected it was going to be. Like it was literally not even close to what his expectations were. And he stayed in for you know, months and months because can't look, looks, looks bad in a resume to change and all those different things. But that's a whole other issue we can get into. <laughs> but what I want to also ask you about is going from tech company to tech company in New York City, how did you decide you know, when it was time to leave? What were you going to find next? What was that process like? So I've done a lot of jumping. And I don't mean that in terms – I mean, not really in terms of timeline. But um, I was frustrated and I was like, nope, I'm done and, had, and checked out essentially and mentally. Um, which isn't a great approach, frankly. <laughs> um, and I've gotten better at it every time I've gotten a little bit less checked out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the first job, it was a very much, you know, a glass, multiple glass ceilings, um, you know, as I worked for a bunch of old white dudes. Um, yeah. And they, I worked as a C-level executive or executive assistant to one of them. And then that turned into two of them and that turned into seven of them and that turned into running the, running all people operations in the company. Wow. Um, and when I asked for a pay, pay raise, they said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? What do you do? And I said, what? <laughs> I run the people. <laughs> um, and so they couldn't see that. And so, you know, I just, at a certain point, I just said done. And that was about a year and a half in. Um, and then I, and then I was, I got really excited about the next company and moved on to that really fast, um, Echo. And it, whether or not it was the best choice for me, you know, one can never know, um, but I made the move real fast. I said, you know, dusted off my hands and said, okay, next. Um, and so at that point is when um, I think that that is something that everybody should be aware of. Um, and I coach better than I do myself with that um, about not jumping, about really taking the time to think things through and make sure it's the right next step versus just a next step. Right. Um, and so, and, you know, I was just going to say, when, Go when you're thinking through, like, you know, thinking about the next step, what are some things people should be thinking about or asking themselves when they're in that process? Try to take any emotion out of it. Okay. I think that's the first step is just say, okay, like, I'm not happy here. That has nothing to do with what's next. Um, and I think a lot of people bring into the 
bring in the emotion of not happiness to the next thing, which is going to taint whatever's next in terms of your, you know, for me, it made my choices a little bit more, I don't want to say not the right choices, but it, it, it rose tinted the glasses because I had the negative emotion behind me. So everything else looked better, um, whether or not it was the right better. Um, so I would say, you know, you really have to do an audit of what you're not happy about and what you are happy about. So what do you like in your role? What do you like in your company? What do you like in whatever it is, your commute? Like literally, like go through all of the different elements of it and then say, okay, here's, you know, essentially it's a pros and cons list. The pros, I liked working for approximately 100 person company. I liked being able to commute on one train. Um, I didn't like that I worked on the 30th floor because I have, you know, vertigo. I, you know, whatever it is, like it may seem really tiny, but doing that audit allows you to go into the next stage and read job descriptions and, you know, really figure out kind of what you're looking for. Um, another thing I always say is go to your friends, go to your family, go to your coworkers who you trust and say, what am I really good at? And what do I need help with? Um, and learn that because those are, you know, direct lines you can put in what I hate are cover letters, but cover letters or your website or, you know, whatever it is, um, because they're going to notice things you're not. Um, right. So doing an audit yourself of everything, doing an audit of your friends about you, um, and then not getting caught up on titles, which is really, really hard for everybody. You need titles as searching for jobs and all the millions of job sites out there. Um, but really taking a good, deep look at what the jobs actually are. Because um, a lot of companies are, you know, flexible on titles or, you know, you, you, you prove your shit in six months and then you can ask for promotion or change or whatever. Yeah. Um, but people get caught up in little details and it's like, okay, like, let's think about the really important pieces. It's what you're doing day to day. It's what's going on. Um, and then, and then you have to think about the interviews itself, which are a whole different can of worms. <laughs> um, but going back to what you said about not seeing the day to day is we need to way have apprenticeship programs, whether it, you know, it should start in middle school, let alone high school, all of the jobs I've had, I didn't know existed Yeah. in the way that they were, um, in the way that I had them. Um, which now I know are all fairly commonplace tech company roles. Um, and, you know, I worked with a recruiter or two recruiters for a while. And I, I would have loved if they had been just like, Hey, like this company allows you to come in and just like talk to the people. Um, you know, and that would have been great, especially if it was already a company, maybe I was interested or they were interested in me, um, just to figure out what the hell people were doing. Yeah. I probably would have gotten into product management. I definitely would have gotten into project management. Um, I would have loved to get into more event marketing. You know, there's all these things that I didn't know were actual roles. And then you start getting more and more defined with your career. And then people don't want to even look at you for other roles, which is, again, a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> uh, but, and I, now I've forgotten what the original question was. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm just asking, yeah, I'm going through a lot of different things. But even with that day to day, do you know any resources or the best resources for finding out what it's like? Obviously, reaching out to people on LinkedIn to in, in a position that you think you want to get into and then doing information interviews is helpful. Um, Glassdoor is another site, I think. But I, I was wondering if there's anything you thought of or know of. Yeah, I think the big thing is the experiential. Um, you know, those are great resources, what you mentioned. Uh, but the best way is to actually go in and talk with people. Um, I would tell anybody, you know, whether it's streamers and doers or another similar network, there's tech ladies, there's um, ladies storm hackathons. There's a whole bunch of, you know, that's just on Facebook. There's a whole bunch of resources and meet people in person, have yeah. conversations with them, be candid, you know, 
you talk to somebody in learning and development, they're going to tell you, you know, whether in the office, they might say something different than out of the office, but ultimately you're going to get a more transparent picture. And they're going to be able to tell you what you need to have to apply. They're going to say, you know, these are keywords. These are the kinds of things that they're going to look for, blah, blah, blah. So even if you're not applying to their company, they're going to be able to give you the insight. Um, so meet people, in pe- meet people in person, have phone calls. Don't be afraid to make the ask. Um, people are every single time going to have better value than the online resources. Right. And what are, some things, what are some things you think people should ask in those meetings? So you meet up with someone in a company. What, are th- what do you think are some of the most important aspects or the important questions to ask about? Yeah, I think going in and having made the specific ask to them, I'm looking for a new, I'm looking for a career change. I saw you work in, you know, HR. Can I, would you be able to tell me a little bit about, you know, the day-to-day and then the pros and cons of your job? Right. And like literally go in and just, you know, people love talking about themselves. Um, So if you go in (laughs) and you have asked them about themselves and what they're doing and how they do it, you know, it's really easy. But if you go in and say, I'm looking to switch careers, I want to talk to you, nobody's going to say yes. You have to go in with a really specific ask and always buy coffee or buy lunch or buy drinks, whatever it is. If you have somebody out, it's kind of like old adage, you have somebody out, you need to be ready to pay <laughs> as well. I mean, I paid yeah. for a lot of coffee and a lot of lunches when I was so broke. Um, but it also, you know, again, it's, that's how you get mentors. That's how you get people who respect you. Um, you know, and they'll probably invite you out next time and they'll pay, you know? Right. One of those things uh, you just have to do though. I, I completely understand that. I agree with that. Um, but yeah, I think you go in, you have a specific ask, um, and if it's career related, you know, make sure it's specific to them rather than just specific to you. Right. Cause you can make your own assumptions and changes and notes. Like even if only 75% or 50% of the ch- chat was functional to what you needed, informative for what you needed, it's still 50% more than you had before. Exactly. And it's important to do your research beforehand. That's one of the things I, I've noticed with people too. You need to know coming into it, you can do the background research to have an idea and be able to talk their talk, but then ask more questions, follow up to the point of like, like we said before, what's the day to day like those type of things as well. It seems like it's yep. the best way to go about it. Yeah. And if you notice a person works at a tech company and like a huge conglomerate say, you know, can you talk about the difference between the two? Yeah. You know, I'm really interested in tech companies or I have no desire to work in tech companies. Like something like that, we're talking to two or three people about their experience in one type of company, you're going to know really fast if it's a company you would like that type of company you want to work for. And then you can eliminate a whole genre of companies you don't want to work for. Exactly. Or you can include them or, you know, there's a million jobs. Like you got to narrow, you got to narrow shit down. You do, yeah. There are a million jobs and you can only do one at a time in theory. You can do a couple, but yeah, <laughs> one main in, in one. You, you've proven you can do more than one, but one main job at a time. Yes. <laughs> and I want to ask about the coaching you did. So you say you did Jess Consulting? Joshua Consulting. Okay, Joshua Consulting. Yeah. Joshua was my nickname through all of middle, elementary, high school, all of those years. Okay. Nobody and when did you start Jess. that consulting company? Uh, 2014. Okay. Wow. How? Um, I registered with the state of New York as a business, and I bought the domain com. And then you're just like, oh, how did you approach even building that? No one told you what to Square do space. necessarily, did you? <laughs> It was, no, yes. Squarespace. Um, I, I looked at other people's websites. I copied other people's, not word for word, their stuff. Yeah, but right. The number of iterations my website has gone through is absurd. Um, <laughs> it, it just truly, like, the to- I mean, initially it was like super professional. And then I was like, well, I have no experience. So I really shouldn't be that professional. And so 
you know, again, I talk to my friends, I talk to my family. One of my assets is my transparency in conversation and my very kind of colloquial usage. I'm going to swear. I'm going to, you know, tell it like it is. I'm going to laugh. I'm not going to BS you. Um, and so I wanted that to come off really transparently. And so, you know, especially my bio, my current, my current bio on LinkedIn and my website, you know, it reads exactly who I am, I think right now. Um, and if you read it, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to know who this person is on the phone. I'm going to know who this person is at a job. I can tell the tone that they're, of the advice they're going to give me. You know, it's very specific. I'm not meant to coach everybody. And I, you know, have come to terms with that. My, you know, my total addressable market is not, does not need to be everybody. And if it was, then I would be out of control because you, you can't do that. You know, there's only so yeah. many jobs, you know, so many people. <laughs> um, and I only want to coach a specific type of person. I want action-oriented people who are ready to make change. I, you know, can't coach anybody who doesn't, who won't actually take action on what we're talking about. And right. it may take time to take action, but I've coached people a couple of times and like they just don't want to actually do the work. They don't want to go through the, the motions to make it happen. They just want to hear what they should be doing. And I won't work with somebody like that. Yeah, it's not worth your time. It took it's not me a long, time. Yeah, it took me a long time to recognize that as well. Um, and so like I've created recently a series of e-workbooks specifically targeted at like personal branding, you know, resume, LinkedIn, digital presence, kind of all the things I learned by just figuring it out um, and turned it into an interactive ebook. So, you know, you go through it and it has worksheets and it's, I think, 150 pages. It's kind of absurd. Um, <laughs> awesome. But ideally, when you're done with it, you have, you know, a totally pimped out resume. You have a LinkedIn that is recruiter friendly. You have you know, a digital media presence that not only is there, but has been audited and curated. Um, you have your website, you have your portfolio, you know, it really goes through all of the different pieces of, you know, regardless if you're an engineer or a designer, you know, you should have a portfolio, you should have a website. Every single person should have a website, yes. you know, Agreed. Squarespace, Wix, doesn't matter, buy your domain and run with it. Um, but so I turned that into an e-workbook, um, which I'm, you know, working on figuring out how to sell it, um, <laughs> which is its own new challenge that I've never had to experience before. Um, it's it's so you just, tricky, you just but do yes. it. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of, you know, figuring it out, you just do it, you know, and there have been times where I've, you know, worked my full-time job 90% of the time and my consulting 10% and vice versa. Um, but if you want to do it and you're good at it, you know, worst case scenario is it doesn't work. Exactly. And that's not a terrible worst case scenario. And people are so afraid of, you know, quote unquote failure. But like, if you started something and it didn't work, I bet you have a fuck ton of awesome stories to tell right and yeah. like ridiculous things that have happened to you exactly and you're gonna learn from every single time you do that and you do the next thing and you do the next thing and it always leads to something else that is going to yep. be beneficial eventually and by the way i will link to all your stuff on justgogrind.com slash podcast so any resource we talk about i would have that in the show notes um but even with that so you do you start your coaching company basically you're like okay i'm gonna start this company go through all the steps of this you know kind of who you want to work with. What have you done to grow that company? What have you? What are you looking to do with that? Because I know you also have the Rise Journey, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here. <laughs> There's a lot, but always, always a lot of things on my plate. That's, it's, these type of people do that, right? Like if you're driven, you just like want to do everything. But how have you grown their consulting thing? Yeah, I think it's determining what I want to do through it has been the biggest growth, and that started as. Um, doing individual coaching to doing group workshops to recognizing that I want to, I find that people learn better in groups um, with individual attention and then group activities. So I started doing a bunch of workshops um, 
you know, around things like imposter syndrome, you know, working on your portfolio, how you start your first website when you're like, well, I don't know what to write. Um, you know, kind of a lot of like the personal branding 101 that is recruiter friendly, you know, with the aim that, you know, this is going to further your career. Um, and that took me a while to realize that I don't want to just do people's resumes, which is another reason why I created the ebook. It's like, there's only so many resumes I can look at. You know, most people's resumes are, are crap. And that's just because nobody taught us how to do it. There was, you know, I didn't have any classes anyway. I don't know many people who've actually gone through or have had a coach. Um, and resumes are so like, everybody wants something slightly different or they want you to parse it differently. So, you know, my theory on resumes are they're dead. They're BS, but we're still gonna have to use them for a while. Yeah. So, let, you know, don't focus time on making them gorgeous or whatever. You need to get the information on it and you need to get it across. It needs to be computer scanner friendly because when people, you know, you're going to go through, um, you know, there's plenty of software out there that's going to scan for keywords. So you need to make sure you have your keywords. You need to make sure there's numbers on it, you know, and, you know, I get a lot of things of like, well, I didn't do things that were numbers based. And I'm like, okay, so you're a receptionist. How many people did you greet a day? How many phone calls did you answer? How many people did you, you know, transfer those phone calls to? Who did you support? How many people did you support? Like, there's always numbers to be put in things. So, like, find your numbers. Um, but so going back, instead of doing that on a one-by-one -one basis, doing that on a 20-to-1 basis. And then everybody can chat with the other person and recognize that all the fears are exactly the same. Right. Um, so why would you want to, you know, talk about scalability? I was recognizing what I could do in scale and what I couldn't. Um, so in terms of growing, you know, Oddly enough, it was really more about my growth as I recognized what I was able to give back and do better at. Um, my ultimate goal for Jaws Row Consulting is to do 100% free. I would love it to be a, not a nonprofit, but to be able to go into organizations, specifically women and minority focused, and say, okay, let's let's knock this shit out of the ballpark. You know, everybody right. open up your laptops, open up your resume, open up your website. We're going to do an audit of all this stuff so that we're going to make it better tonight. And then you're going to know the next 10 things you need to do. Um, but I don't want to charge for that. You know, I'm charging for it now as a means of, you know, being able to feed myself. Um, <laughs> but that's not the goal. Um, and I think that was a really long time coming thing for me to recognize in my work is, you know, these are not the people I'm helping are not the people I want to make money from. Right. I mean, I want to be a good jillionaire, but not from these people. These from people that, right. want and need help and deserve help because they may never have gotten it before. They deserve a coach. Um, so that's my ultimate goal is, and that took me a while to figure out, you know, some people recognize they want to make money or they want to do good or whatever. And those are all great things. Um, and mine was to do it for free because, or like do it for a bottle of wine, like bring me a bottle of wine and we'll go through your resumes. Like, <laughs> right. Sounds pretty solid to me. That's uh, great payment. Yeah, exactly. And as, yeah, right. I think also with that, what you said, um, one of those things where like you can want to make a lot of money and also help people. I don't think there's a, have to be mutually exclusive. That's something yep. where I think there's like a stigma around that. It almost seems like, yes. like you know, if you're you're either nonprofit fully or you're like trying to just make as much money you, as you can. You can't help people unless you make money. Right, exactly. You can't, I mean, it's <laughs> like, a cycle. Exactly. It's hundred percent a cycle. Um, yeah. But you can recognize how you want to make money, and I think that's the difference that people need to be talking about. Um, is you know, with Rise, we talk about you know, we want to be able, we always want to have a nonprofit client that we're doing pro bono. We always want to make sure that we're doing events that are community driven. But we want to make a lot of money and we want to, you know, the work we do is all culture and diversity inclusion based. So, you know, it's doing good through our work, but we also want to be able to do, make a lot of money and employ other people and like make big change and to make big change, you got to have deep pockets. 
Right. Then you can do some of the things you've always wanted to like do or build or create. And it takes funds to be able to do that. Like if you want to make an impactful company that let's just say, whether it's an app, whether it's a website, okay, well, everything costs money. Developers cost money. Like, these, everything you need funds for. So you have to make money in the business to be able to support, to do more than to help more people. It's like a vicious cycle of that type yep. of thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, women and again, women and minorities, you know, have this imposter syndrome. They have this fear that, you know, they'll be seen as the money hungry wolf of wall street types. And it's like, screw it. I want to be able to go on vacation whenever I damn well, please. I want a <laughs> private jet to take me places. And I want to have my cat on my lap when I go there. But like, you know, but then I also want to be able to go wherever I'm going and coach people for free and do things for free. So, you know, knowing knowing that you want to have money is not a bad thing. Um, but again, knowing how you want to get that money and who you want paying you is very different. Yeah. Um, than just being like, give me all the money, which is I'll take all the money. You know, would be would be lovely if somebody wants to drop. You know, if my family had donated a million dollars to me to start a business, things might look very different. Yeah, it could look incredibly different. And to that point, versus bootstrapping it from nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the two different things: the bootstrapping versus the funding. It's something I've always done the bootstrapping route, but realizing even this MBA program that to make the type of impact you want to make, sometimes you need to do the funding route. Um, it just yep. depends on what that business is, and then how fast you want to grow it. Um, a lot of times, as a someone who's very driven, you're not always the most patient. <laughs> so if you yes. want to make things happen quicker. Okay, if you get funds, you can do that potentially. So. There's always the back and forth and entrepreneurs, you know, with bootstrapping versus that. But to that point of starting businesses, the rise journey, let's talk about that. How did that get started and what exactly is it? Yeah. So the rise journey, um, we want to work with startups, small businesses, anybody in a growth stage uh, who is interested in helping develop their team and build out their company culture with a, you know, diversity inclusion focus, uh, with a focus on community, social change. Um, we believe that every company has the ability to affect their community in a positive way, but also make money from it. Um, you know, the, again, like you said, the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, so we, Jess and I launched it technically about a year ago now, uh, but we did our hard launch in May, okay. um, which started with us going to small business expo and tech day in New York and saying, Hey, we're here. <laughs> um, and our approach to everything in general is, you know, there's other consultants out here who do similar stuff to us. There's all sorts of people. And we wanted to go on it with a, you know, with a very specific mindset of, you know, you do diversity and inclusion, not because it's right, but because it's profitable. You do community and social change, not because it's right, but because it's profitable. You do it because, and we have the, everybody can do it. So uh, my, my personal example is, um, you know, everybody has the ability to affect their community. I, I foster kittens. I work with a shelter in New York. Um, actually, recently, I just gave back kitten number 21, 22, and 23. Wow. Um, and I foster them for one week. I foster them for three weeks, whatever it is. Um, it's a little chaotic. It's, you know, a little bit smelly. But ultimately, like, it's how I can give back. Um, and, yeah. you know, whatever small method or big method you can do. Every single person can do that. Every single company can do it. Every single company can promote their employees to do it. Um, it's just a matter of how and what works for you and how it makes you know your company more profitable. Um, right. So Jess and I met um, over a year and a half ago now. Um, we took a certificate masterclass at NYU on managing diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Um, and we were the two people who just had endless questions and would end up after class just like talking and being like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? How do you believe it? Like, it was very clear that we had similar ethos and mindsets 
um, we were both in a place in our career where we were ready to do something, but we weren't quite sure what. Um, she had taken the class with the intention of starting a business, uh, which I thought was really interesting um, that she didn't know what, but she knew that right. um, component of it. And, you know, it kind of just, I wasn't sure. It was kind of, I was working at Hired at the time and I didn't, you know, I really wanted to grow within Hired and find my place within that company. Um, and it was looking less and less like there was a split space for me, which is also something that nobody tells you is that you could really like a company and their mission and, you know, feel good about what you're doing, but it doesn't mean there's necessarily space for you to grow. Right. Um, and a lot of companies don't want to say that out loud, but that's also okay. You just hopefully have the relationship where they can move you into something else or help you go to the next step or make the network connections. Um, and so I took some time off. Um, I left, I left hired cause it was just time anyway. And I actually moved to Spain for the beginning part of this year and took three months and said, I'm going to figure out what the hell I want to do because I wasn't figuring it out in New York. I wasn't figuring out where I was. Um, and while I was in Spain, I worked on um, Rise Work. We have our methodology, which is kind of our, our I call it, I around, I call it our Bible, um, but our, our backbone to our business, essentially. Um, and the methodology pretty much approaches any subject that we would consult on um, from you know, hiring and firing to, uh, to training, to onboarding, to how you have social impact, to how you create your mission and values, how you update those things. Like literally any topic becomes a chapter. And right now it's about 500 pages. Okay. My guess is it'll be closer to a thousand by if I have the time to dedicate it that I want to. Um, and the methodology is also influenced by advisors. So we were working with people who are experts in their given field. So Jess and I are not diversity and inclusion experts. Um, we're passionate about it. We're invested in it. We know a lot about it. But to say that we're experts would be silly. Um, and we want to support the community that supported us. So we find experts in their each in their area. So organizational development, diversity and inclusion, social change, um, disability in the workplace, whatever it may be. And we have them contribute and they get authorship. Um, ideally, at the some point in the end of the line, any of our advisors would have some sort of payout. We'd try to do like 10% of our profits would be a um, profit share. Um, so we can, again, support the community that supported us. Um, right. You know, we want to involve their advisors. If they want to do consulting, we bring them in on projects. If they don't, cool. Um, but we want to make sure that we're getting up-to-date, informed, you know, interesting, educative resources and from people yeah. who, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk. So while I was in Spain, I was working on that. I was working with advisors. I was building this out, you know, figuring, you know, what are we actually doing? And I came back and I said, okay, like, let's roll. Um, and we've done full steam ahead. And it's been crazy. <laughs> Explain. Um, you know, you you think you know it, and then you're like, no, nope, <laughs> I don't know anything. Like once again, humbled by the lack of knowledge I have. Um, I'm really fortunate. Kind of, I think the biggest thing is I'm really fortunate that Jess and I have a great partnership. Um, I can tell you right now that there are things that have already happened that would have broken up a lesser partnership. Yeah. Um just based on the fact that we're both passionate and we're both type A and we both want to do it in the right way. And I think we both initially think our, our way is the right way. Um, <laughs> but we have the ability to talk it through and, you know, Jess and I can have a kind of a harrowing discussion that gets very heated and very motivated, like very motivated by our passions and then say, okay, let's take a break. Let's have some water and let's talk about this other topic. And we can, you know, in a second, you know, well, in a minute, <laughs> you know, take a minute and recognize that that conversation we just had was that conversation we just had. And now we're talking about something else. 
and really, again, drop that emotional piece behind it and say, okay, well, now we're talking about this topic, which has nothing to do with that topic. You know, we can disagree and still recognize that there's other things to be done that, you know, we don't need to bring in the disagreement to. Yeah. Um, and I'm really fortunate because I've never had a coworker like that, that I felt that I could do that with. I've never had a boss, actually bosses that were bosses. I can now have those kinds of conversations with, but now are no longer my boss. Um, you know, hey, finding a partner, I mean, I think that's probably the hardest piece of starting anything, if we're going to start it with somebody else, is truly a partner you can work with. And, you know, Jess and I are going to be hanging out and doing stuff together, whether it's Rise or not, for the next 20 years, right. 30 years, 40 years. Right. Um, and we found each other through a, a class. Um, you know, Jess and I would have never met in any other walk of life. We just happened to meet in this class. Um and so it's been crazy because we've just been doing everything. We have been, you know, pitching clients. We've been going to meetups. We've been hosting events. Um, we have been, you know, you know, dog fooding our own methodology, making sure that it works. For, if it works for us, we, you know, believe it can work for somebody else. Um, you know, we have our to-do list, which is 800 pages long. We have, um, you know, how can we hire team members without hiring team members because we're not bringing enough money to hire them yet. But how can we motivate them by what we're doing as, you know, you will be our first and second and third hire um, you know, figuring out what works and what doesn't, you know, we go to an event and we're like, you know, that was a fun event, but it didn't really help us. So now we can't go to those events anymore. You know, we need yeah. to, you know, really figure out things. And it's really hard to say, Oh, like, that's great. It sounds great. We're both able to do that, but that's not what we want to do. And now we need to move beyond that. And that's really hard. Um, and so, you know, when you're dealing with a hundred topics and a hundred different elements and your endless to-do list and, you know, trusting in your other partner or partners to get things done. Cause like right now I'm in New Hampshire, she's in New York. Um, our digital strategist, Laura is in Queens and, you know, we're only texting a hundred times a day and we have this big to-do list. And, you know, I know that Laura has her family and, you know, weekends are her family time and Jess is, um, you know, focusing, I believe, on her stepkids this weekend. There's stuff, family stuff going on. Yeah. And I'm up here doing whatever it is that I'm doing, but knowing that we're all still getting stuff done and that come Monday, we're going to go on the phone, we're going to have our, you know, Monday morning meeting and we're going to get started again. And knowing that, that, you know, the trust of that is also, you know, absolutely insane. That we, one, that we have it and that we can sustain it. Um, and two, that, you know, things are getting done. Yeah. You know, our to-do list, things are getting crossed off. And, you know, no matter how small or how big, things are getting crossed off bit by bit. And that's what, and especially in growing a business, progress is everything because there's so much to do. Like it can be yep. overwhelming because there's so many things you have in your head of what you, you'd like to accomplish, what you'd like to do. But that day-to-day basis, it just seems like progress is the the main thing. I mean, every day, you just can you move forward? Can you cross things off the list as you're mentioning? And then that will help you eventually get to that goal of whatever it may be you want to do. Like that's how you do it. One of the things I had to ask hearing that, how have you convinced people to join the team, even if you know you're not able to pay them as much now as you know later on? Or like how did you approach that? Because I've been curious about that for myself too, actually, with growing a team. Yeah. So Laura Wyant, our digital strategist, um, her and I had met up um, one of my previous coworkers and then cl- coaching clients said, you need to meet this woman. She needs your coaching. Can you meet her for coffee? Um, and I said, sure. And Laura and I met and like instantly was like of a similar hustle mindset um, and to do. And um, she was going through a career transition and, you know, had been doing her own freelance digital media strategy for a while and not sure where to go with it next. And, 
we stayed connected and I told her about Rise and this was pat last, this was in, G- I guess this was January of this year. Um, and she was like, I love what you're doing. I love how you're doing it. And she, you know, as we go through, I kept her posted and she had helped us out with a couple events when I got back and things, random things. And, and I talked with Jess and I said, look, like we need Laura's skills. Obviously we can't afford to pay her. Um, we would love to pay her, but we can't. Um, I think that she would make a great first hire when we can. Um, can I, you know, what are your thoughts? And we had a conversation about it and ultimately it came down to, yes, we both agree. We both want her on board. We can't pay her. And I approached her and I said, look, you know, you're, you, you eat, you know, eat, sleep and breathe our ethos and what we're doing. You get what we're doing. You get how we're doing it. We want you on board. We understand, you know, we want to make clear like this is what we can do and this is what we can't do. Um, we also want to make sure that you know that you're our first hire and you'll get 25% of any event we bring in and whatever, like we will, we'll pay you like what we can pay you when we can pay it. Right. Um, and you know, we would be able to work around your schedule and, you know, do whatever, you, you know, if you can do 10 hours, you can do 10 hours. If you can do a hundred hours, you can do a hundred hours. Um, but we want you specifically. And right. she said, okay, that's like really flattering and, um, really grateful to know that I'm going to go home and literally, Five hours later, she was like, you know, I talked about it with my husband and I'm on board. Let's do this. Um, And I, you know, I think part of it is finding the right people. Um, She's also, you know, doing the same thing as me and Jess. We both have other jobs. We both have other consulting gigs. Um, You know, we're not relying on Rise yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Fingers crossed. Um, That is our full means of what we're doing and how how we're surviving, frankly. Um, but we recognize that this is bigger than us. And I think that's the key is all of us recognize the potential of what this is and not what it could be, what it is, frankly. And, right. and it's just a matter of us getting to the right spot. And, you know, as a united front, we're much stronger than we are individually. Um, and also a, a lot of, a lot of sprinkle of luck and the right timing and the right people. And again, like Laura was an introduction, Jess and I met in a class, um, you know, we have the same mindset. We've met a lot of people who are great people would not be our first hire. You know, people we'd want to work with people we'd love to bring on board as a part-time role or like to do a task. But like at this point, like Laura is a secondary founder or a tertiary founder kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's a sprinkle of luck. I think it's a, a huge dose of honesty um, and transparency. And also knowing that at any point, Laura could say, Nope, I'm done. (laughs) <laughs> and we would have to respect that because, yep. you know, that's part of our deal from the beginning is saying, you know, you can, you can cut out, just be transparent with us about it. Um, at the same time, I send her freelance jobs left and right whenever they appear in my network. Um, so I'm trying to support her and her other facets of life, not just through Rise. Right. That makes complete sense. I don't, you mentioned, I don't know if that answered okay. the question. No, no that, uh, that, that does. That, that helps. That definitely helpful because that's what you have to do. I, I just actually gave a presentation in, in school about um, the thing I'm trying to work on is that persuasion aspect of one for investors, two for building a team. You have to be able to sell your mission because then you can get people on board early on, especially where you may not be able to pay them, but you know that you're building towards something where, yeah, they'll be compensated you know, in different ways as you move forward. And how do you convince people to do that? I think it's being very clear on what your mission is and then, like to your point of the ethos, finding people who have that same those same ethos. That's that's how you do it. Um, so that's why I was definitely curious from your perspective. But you also mentioned the advisors aspect of that early on. How were you approaching getting advisors or learning from advisors, finding these people? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think it started with, you know, Jess and I had a million things we wanted to do and work with companies on. But again, we're, we're generalists. We have a really broad and excellent background in a lot of areas and a lot of passion. Um, but taking our class, you know, our professors had, you know, were the people with 20 years of experience in, in legal, in education, in, you know, social action and change. And we said, wow, like, these are the people who, you know, we want to be taking their, their knowledge and making it actionable. Um, and so that's what we do with our advisors is a lot of them have their own things, but they still want to contribute. They hear our mission, they hear our values, they hear what we want to do. And they say, how do I be involved? We say, well, we can make it really easy. Um, you know, I do a lot of phone calls with our advisors where I have a topic at hand and, you know, I take notes on our conversation. Um, we're still going to give them authorship. We're still going to give them credit because it's their ideas, their concepts. But, um, you know, we want to find a way to take their theoretical, their words, whatever it is, and really make it actionable. Yeah. Um, and you can't, you, you can't say you get information from the experts unless they're actually the experts. Um, and again, <laughs> and we on we a dog food, it, we believe in diversity and we believe in, you know, diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of education, et cetera, et cetera. So if you look at our advisor list on our website, you know, it's, it's diverse. It's going, and it's only going to get bigger. Um, you know, the people involved and how they're involved might be different. And, you know, we might change how we talk about advisors. It's not your traditional board of advisors. It's a different, Yeah, you know, we have that too, which is kind of a private situation, but our advisors are what, you know, who advise our, how we go about our business. Um, yeah. And if we're not doing something right, if we're not, you know, treating people like we should, we hope our advisors would step in and be like, yo, like maybe it's time you step back on this or, oh my God, there's this new revelation in this. Like you need to be talking about this. You know, they're also means of us making sure that we're staying on the ball and in the industry and up to date because, you know, the worst thing is to do outdated knowledge. Yeah. And with, with that, with your, with your company, um, how have you kind of defined your mission clearly or your, your ethos clearly? Is that defined like in a mission statement per se, or like, how do you represent that to other people so they can get an idea of what you guys are all about? I mean, the tagline our, on our website is the rise journey is focused on building your best team and an empowering workplace culture, uh, with a commitment to community and social change. We provide purpose-driven results-oriented support for your growing company. Um, so pretty much breaking that down, you know, we want to help you have awesome people and have you support those awesome people. We believe that that's derived from community. That's derived from having knowing that you can and will and should have a social impact in some capacity. And that the only way that can happen is if you have purpose and you have results, which means, you know, you have to take action. Um, a lot of people, a lot of consulting companies will come in and be like, you should do these changes after three months of us, you know, snooping around. And we're not, oh, mm -hmm. that's like, there's nothing more annoying than that for us. It's to somebody say, you should do change. So we want to go in, we want to do the analysis. We want to talk with people. And then we would say, okay, here are your steps. Here's what you need to do. We don't want to do it for you, but we, you know, we want to swim in a parallel lane with you. We want to support you. We want to, you know, make sure we have the floaties in case you need a little extra help, but <laughs> we want to support you through this process because it's a process. And kind of like I said, with my coaching and you talked about with your coaching, you know, if they don't figure it out, if they don't learn it, if we're not teaching it well enough after a certain point, then we're not doing our job right. We don't want to work with clients on the same topic for more than a year because it's then it's not being done well. Really, six months? You should be able to make enough change that you have new sets of problems that we work you know, We'll work with you for those too. But right, we get new step. problems. Um, yeah, you know, what's okay? You're at a new, maybe you plateau and you got to figure out how to get out of that. Um, but if you go through the standard stages of startups, you know, if you're three founders and you're like, okay, we have a million dollars in the bank, we want to hire three people, 
my guess is those three founders want to hire the wrong people. And, you know, for me, for my HR background, my recruitment background, I can go in and say, okay, like, who do you actually want to hire? Like, what are they doing? And that's going to change the job description. That's going to change how they're going about it. Um, and then most likely they don't, they don't have mission and values. And it's like, okay, let's establish that really fast. Because if you have a mission, everything you do goes back to that. Every product decision, every hire, every whatever it is, should go back to your mission and values. And your mission and values can change. And you should be reassessing them probably once a year. But until you have them, you can't change them. You can't reassess them. Um, So, you know, we want to work with the companies to, like, figure out their foundation, you know, figure out their purpose, figure out their mission, figure out their reasoning, um, and then use that as a springboard to whatever's next. So anything within organizational culture, anything within people, anything that involves people, you know, we want to be a part of. We don't want to run your marketing campaigns. We don't want to do any of that. But, like, we're happy to advise on other people to do that because we have advisors who would love to contribute (laughs) on those fronts. Right. You have those partners you can suggest to them. So it's all like a cohesive system of like, we offer this, but then when we don't offer, these people can do that for you too, which is helpful then. Exactly. What are the next steps with the Rise journey? I know you said like a year ago, you kind of started, but then you hard launched in May. But what are those next steps for you the next few weeks, the next few months? What's going on? So we have a number of events coming up. Um, So we're testing out pieces of our methodology um, to make sure that they're as good as we feel they are. Um, and some of those range from, you know, how to hire, you know, hiring 101. Um, we have a couple events with some venture capitalist firms coming up. So we're specifically working with their portfolio companies. They vetted us as somebody that they want working with their teams. Um, we are doing a business and purpose series. Um, we're really excited about that. We have the chief behavioral officer from Clover Health, Matt Waller, who's going to be speaking and doing the keynote speaker and then two workshops so that you, again, it's going to be a really cool event, but you're going to leave having done something actionable. Um, so that's one prong of what we're focusing on is events and really being out in the community. Another one is, you know, clients. Um, you know, we're really excited to work with more clients and we've, we're submitting proposals. Seems like weekly, which is really exciting um, and figuring that out and how to who we want to work with and how we want to work with them. Um, and, you know, getting sales so we can make this our full-time thing. You know, that's the ultimate goal, I think, for all three of us is, one, we want to be able to pay Laura because she's first on payroll before Jess or I. Um, and then, you know, if we get those clients, we're, we're, we're solid. We have advisors who are committed to us and committed to helping us grow and change. Um, you know, we have a couple different paths we can take in terms of funding, in terms of, you know, what levels we get to, and we'll figure that out when we get there. Um, but, you know, next... Get clients, get money, do more. Yeah. Well, very simple. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if it's only that simple in action, it would be glorious. Simple in theory. That's that's right. And how are you balancing the working on the rise journey with your other things you have going on, support you while you're kind of growing the company? How do you balance that? Not well. Um, and I mean that in a very positive way. Um, for me, it's all very integrated. Um, you know, I have a couple of side contracts that I'm working on in terms of roles. Um, you know, I'm open to part-time work and things like that, again, as a means of financial stability. Um, but in terms of balance, it's, it's, it's all in feet first, um, which again, may not be the healthiest, but it's working for me right now. Uh, I'm fortunate that both Jess and Laura, you know, say, you know, we respect each other enough to know that if somebody's overwhelmed or we feel overwhelmed, we can go to the group and say, Hey, I need 24 hours. I'm just going to do nothing. I'm not going to answer a phone or email, just FYI. Um, and we can respect yeah. that in each other. And so 
I think having that knowledge that I can take the time I need allows me to not need as much time. Um, and, you know, we're texting all day, we're communicating all day. So I can eventually say, hey, I'm signing off for the night. It's like, okay, great. Um, and so I don't feel the need for balance. Um, really, financial is the biggest issue, I think, for all three of us. Yeah. Is, you know, how do we keep ourselves afloat and our families afloat and our, in my case, my cat afloat? Um, keep them supplied <laughs> with catnip. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and then how do we make this company grow? Um, because that's us growing. Right. I want, and also with that, I want to know more about, like, you mentioned taking time off for like, you know, 24 hours to unplug. Um, I think a lot of people who, again, are driven type A people, it's, it's tough to take a break. It's tough to unwind and not be just high strung on your stuff, like whatever you're working on all the time. What yeah. have you found best for you, at least in terms of unwinding, taking time away from everything, uh, you're de-stressing those types of things. What have you found that works best for you? I mean, for me, travel is always the big thing. Um, right now, that's not in my ability because of the financial piece, which is totally fine. Um, but I find my ways to travel indirectly. So I find that like watching Netflix for 12 hours isn't relaxing as much as it might seem to be because <laughs> I can zone out. Um, but really like making sure I'm exercising, um, reading a book. I just downloaded like four books to my Kindle. Um, you know, even taking 10 minutes and focusing on my cat, like really saying, okay, like I'm literally going to focus on him for 10 minutes and seeing his happiness and his like goo goo eyes at me or whatever, like <laughs> takes me out of my own space enough that I can just like let crap go. Um, I see a therapist once a week. Um, it's super helpful. Um, I would recommend everybody to have a therapist, just like a coach. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, it's amazing. Somebody is paid to listen and it's amazing when somebody is actively actually listening how much you can get off your chest and actually stays off your chest. Um, so it's really cool. Cause you're like, I go once a week and I'm like, I leave and I'm like, wow, I feel 10 pounds lighter. Even if I talked about <laughs> nothing that really mattered, just the active, active, active listening. Like, and again, sometimes you have to pay for that. That's fine. Whatever. My insurance. Thank goodness. I have, yeah. I do have insurance. Um, you know, I'm home for the weekend or the week, I guess. Um, and there's literally nothing to do in New Hampshire um, except for clean, clean the house. Um, my, you know, I'm fortunate we have a very lovely, you know, house and property. So, you know, I go out and pick raspberries with my mom and we go hang out in the garden and um, we're having a party on Sunday. So we're going to cook. And so I'm going to like, you know, check in. But ultimately, like, this is me hanging out with my family and I do what I do and I don't what I don't. Yeah. Um, but I think really fine. And everybody's going to have their own ways and recognizing that nobody has the same ways. Um, I love walking. I will walk for three hours in New York. I will just walk up and down the streets. Um, and that for me is super meditative, um, listening to music, um, you know, whatever works, but dedicating, I'm not good at scheduling dedicated time, but I'm good at dedicating time to what I need. Yeah. And then also go to the beach, you know, go someplace where your phone really shouldn't be out. It's helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I mean, and again, like some sort of forcing of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of finding what works for you. And also the biggest thing is knowing when you need it and not letting yourself get to a tipping point. Um, how do you know when the right time is then? Right. I say it with air quotes, by the way. Yeah. The right time. Um, <laughs> you know, I think for me, I can feel when my brain isn't functioning as well. And so, um, 
you know, if we've had a day where we've been really productive at a certain point. I'm like, man, it's four o'clock. And I really think I, you know, I have enough to do to work until midnight, but mm -hmm. I, my brain just isn't doing it right. Um, so I'm going to take the night and I'll text Jess and I'll text Lauren and say, Hey, my brain is foggy. Um, I'll catch you guys in the morning. It's like, okay. And I might check in on some things, but I'm not actually working. You know, I am taking my own time. Um, you know, I think if I start crying, I can be very emotional. I can like cry at a Hallmark commercial it means very little, but I cry, I can cry. And I think recognizing that if I ever feel like I'm tearing up over something, I'm like, okay, this is something usually like what stress behind it is like what's coming out behind it. Is it just a Hallmark commercial or is it because I'm just purely exhausted um, because I've done six events this week and I just can't anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, Again, recognizing yourself, if you don't have that ability, you know, ask people you trust and say, hey, when I am about to like lose it, what do I do? What do I act? What do I say? What do I smell like? Whatever it is, you know, have other people who might be able to have observed you in situations tell you and then try to be aware of it. Um, yeah. You can't do anything unless you have self-awareness. So if you don't have self-awareness, I would say that would be the number one thing to work on. Yeah, you have to know when know when you need to take a break, knowing how you function, knowing when you function best. I think that's yep. important. That's how, the reason why I wake up so early is I know I function best in the morning typically. Yep. And staying up later, those extra hours at night are not worth the same as a few hours in the morning and really getting through everything fast. Yep. So it all stems from that self-awareness of knowing that to begin with. And then you, can, then you can adjust accordingly knowing how you function best. And then you can know, yeah, I need to take a break every – hour or two, I need to take a break every few days or whatever it may be to then help you succeed later on and for the long term, not just a temporary getting things done. Then you're exhausted, you crash, and then you end up worse off than if you would have just taken that break in the first place. Yeah, 100%. Now, you mentioned reading some books. I'm curious with books or podcasts or anything that, like how much are you spending time on learning to, you know, kind of improve your skills or uh, to be a better entrepreneur or yeah. that type of thing. How are you approaching that and how much time are you spending on that? Yeah, um, not enough time on improving myself, I'll tell you right off the bat. Um, I have a lot of books I would love to read. I have a lot of um, all different things that I would love to say that I've read. Um, I definitely don't take enough time for that. Um, honestly, I think to really sit down and read like a book that was a self-help or self-improvement or whatever, I would need to be on vacation. I just don't think I would have the mental capacity to do that in my average work day. Um, when I read, it tends to be to, to let go and to really dive into somebody else's world. Um, right now, I am specifically on a kick to try to only read female authors or people of color. Um, so I, mm -hmm. you know, I have a, I have a book list as in addition to my library list of, you know, anytime I've seen like, 10 best books by female authors. I'll just bookmark that. And then I'll go to my li Brooklyn library website and I will, you know, save them to my book list. So I always know when I have eBooks or if I run out, I don't have to like go searching for something. I'm like, okay, these are eBooks. I've already like marked as something I want to read. Um, so really focusing on that again, like social change can be as simple as, you know, reading, you know, reading something from under, under from underserved communities um, and then talking about them and encouraging other people to read them, you know, um, there's little ways of, you know, impacting or whatever. Um, so I, I think I try to do that. Every once in a while I get caught up and have to read like the same book I've read a hundred times just because it's easy for me to fall asleep or whatever. Um, but ultimately I would love to be able to spend more time on improving myself. Um, my partner Jess is much better at that. She listens to podcasts like it's her religion. Um, and she <laughs> probably would have 15 or 20 that she could tell you about. Um, 
I can't get into podcasts. I would love to. I just, not my jam. Um, yeah. But I also recognize that and haven't tried to be on that. Uh, <laughs> I also think I, if I, you know, I've contemplated a lot, like if I didn't live in New York, if I didn't have all the other stimuli coming in, could I take more time for myself to really read books for improvement or do more? Um, and when I was in Spain, I had a lot of that. Um, it was totally different. Um, and I think for me, the ultimate goal is to not be in New York full time, um, specifically because I can do more that actually would promote my business in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, and that was a tough realization to have. And knowing knowing your skill set, you mentioned self-awareness, knowing your skill set, what you've done so far in your career, the experiences you've had, I want to do a little hypothetical. What would you be doing if you had to choose a different career, couldn't do the rise journey, couldn't do the career coaching type of thing? Where do you think your skills apply or what would you, what would you be doing? Oh, my skills apply to anything. Um, big believer in transferable skills. Again, like I studied art, theater, and Spanish. Like, right. the, <laughs> what the hell do you do with that? Um, and I'm very confident that I literally could do any job that was given to me, knowing that the programs, like I couldn't become a video editor because I don't know the programs. Like I couldn't be a magical video editor off the bat, but you gave me, you know, six months and I would be totally legit. Um, yeah. What would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? Um, huh, I don't know. Like I look at jobs all the time and I'm like, that sounds so sick. Like I have no experience in that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, I love meeting people. So really it would have to be people oriented. Um, yeah. My ultimate goal in life, my ultimate top goal is to own and run a hostel somewhere on the ocean. Um, so I would love Rise to make enough money where I can run it and open a hostel. So anybody listening wow. out there, <laughs> become a client <laughs> so I can run my own hostel one day. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's been my goal since I was actually 19 because I traveled a lot and slept in a lot of really crummy hostels and a lot of really great hostels and recognize the camaraderie and the people and the ability to form I mean, I've formed lifelong friendships, you know, in the basement of a hostel while drinking at two in the morning. Um, right. And so to promote that global awareness and equality and openness and whatever, blah, 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 you know, all the good energy woo-woo out there, um, love that idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I would want to be doing, um, preferably in Spain. But, you know, I like Nicaragua, too. <laughs> I, I want to get back to, I want to be speaking Spanish full time again. I want to be fluent again, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And that could happen very well. Could happen anytime. Yes. In theory, it depends on how this business goes, but yeah, you have the flexibility to do that. I just want to ask one, one main question left and that's just, what do you think makes for a great career? What do I think makes for a great career? being honest with yourself that what you have now is not what you're going to have nor what you're going to want. Um, there was an old somewhere who, who knows how long ago. So people have seven careers in their lifetime, um, which I think it's more like 20 now. Um, in reality, <laughs> I, you know, I worked as an English teacher. I worked as an executive assistant. I worked as a personal assistant. I worked as an HR generalist. I worked as a recruiter. I've worked as an HR business partner. I've worked as a career coach. I've worked as a founder. You know, that's eight right there before I'm, you know, by the time I'm 30. Um, so yeah. I think recognizing that a career is whatever you want it to be. Um, I think recognizing that do you want your career to be what makes you money? Because, you know, you can also have a career and have it not make money or, you know, make money elsewhere or whatever. 
Um, I mean, I think a career is so malleable. And I think once you embrace that malleability and that kind of instability in it, you have ownership over it. And all of a sudden, like, once you're aware of that blind spot, it's like, uh uh-huh, I can have fun now. Like, (laughs) and again, financially, and that's always the caveat under all of this is like the finances of being able to live and live in a city and live in a city, anything like New York or otherwise, is always the underlying thing. You know, everybody takes for granted that people have enough money to live and not in poverty and whatnot and do what they have. So I think that's always something that people should be aware of when it comes to career is not everybody has the opportunity to become an entrepreneur and quit their job. Um, But, you know, a career is what you make of it. Um, And nobody's career is correct and nobody's career is 100%. And just like Instagram and everything else, you know, everybody wants to make theirs look better than it is. Um, No job is perfect. One job is not a career. Um, And my advice and everybody else's is not always right. Um, Ultimately, you're the only person you have to go home to. Um, And then, you know, your secondary people that you have to go home to. But, you know... You know, you have to be okay with whatever it is you're doing. And then if you're not, figure out how to take actionable steps to change it. Because there's always means of change. Even with the underlying issue of finances, there's always the means of change. But just how you go about it is different. Right. Where can people find you, reach out to learn more about what you're doing on the web or anywhere? Yeah, so my website, jawsrow.com, J-O-S-R-O-W.com, or therisejourney.com. The Rise Journey, just like it sounds. Um, I'm on multiple forms of social media, happy to reach out. Um, And my email, Jess at Jasro, Jess with one S, super complicated. Um, But yeah, (laughs) the websites are definitely the fastest place to get a hold of me. Um, But I'm super responsive over email. And, you know, as much as I charge for coaching, I'm always happy to do a quick coaching session for free. So always feel free to reach out to do that as well. Awesome. Jess, thank you so much for being on. People, please do reach out if you feel like, you know, you drive with Jess's mission and her vision and things she's working on. I think it's really cool. I think it's important as well in terms of careers. Uh, like I said, all this will be on the show notes, jessicogrand.com slash podcast. Um, then we'll link to her specific episode. Um, but Jess, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I had a great time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can leave a rating review in iTunes. Just search Just Go Grind. Also, you can support the show over at patreon.com slash grind. Hope you're enjoying these episodes, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye.